Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be here with you. My name is Captain Bill, and uh, we have uh, been here for the last couple of days working hard, and it has just been a pleasure. Uh, We are so grateful for your gratitude, or not for your gratitude, our gratitude to you for your hospitality. There we go. I got it out right. For the hospitality that has been shown to us, it has been uh, a wonderful week uh, to just be here and to, uh, to get to know some of you. Um, we've gotten all kinds of things that we're going to be taking back. I have received one thing that I am not so happy that I'm taking back with me, and that is a sunburn on the back of my calves. I don't know how that happened. We were at John and Susan's house, and and we were working, and I I must have passed out in some weird way where the sun was just right on my calves, and it's, I just, I don't don't know. But we are so happy uh, to be here with you this morning uh, and to be able to uh, minister alongside of uh, the majors and lieutenant. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look in the book of Luke, and uh, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn there, Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start with verse uh, 17. And while you're turning there, I just want to set the context a little bit, because the context, you know, sometimes we take verses of Scripture, and we go, you know, verse by verse, and we, we forget about the whole context of where this verse actually So let me just lay a little bit of context there while you are turning there. Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start with verse 17. But in Luke chapter 4, it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus goes to the synagogue, and he is handed a scroll, and he opens it up, and it's Isaiah. And this is the very beginning, and and he reads this passage out loud to the whole uh, synagogue that's there about that he is bringing good news to the poor. He is here so that he could release captives, that the blind would regain their sight, that the oppressed would go free, and on and on. And then he rolls that scroll up and he looks at everybody and he says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. If I were to paraphrase that into today's context, what Jesus was saying and what that passage in Isaiah is saying is that Jesus says, I'm coming for society's voiceless. I'm coming for society's invisible that nobody else sees, that we walk past every day and we don't see them. I'm here for those folks. I'm here for those people. I'm here for those who are broken. I am here for those who are over." looked. And for the next two chapters, chapter 5 and chapter 6, what you see is Jesus starting to align himself with those kinds of people in that society. Starting with the calling of the disciples, because we know that within Jewish history, or within Jewish uh, education, that people would go to school, these kids would go to school, and then a rabbi would come to them if they were good enough and say, come and follow me. For whatever reasons, these people that Jesus, these disciples that Jesus decided to go to, the religious system had already told them, you're not good enough to follow a rabbi. Go back home and do whatever it is that your parents would have you do. And to those people, those who have been overlooked, those who have been told, you're not good enough, this rabbi, this Jesus comes to them and says, I know you've been rejected, but come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
You see stories where Jesus goes to lepers. And in, in that time, if you had leprosy, if you had a disease, if you had a skin condition, they would put you outside of the walls of the city. They would make you go and be totally and live totally isolated and separated. And what does Jesus do to the lepers? He goes to them and he touches them. Those people who, who are overlooked, those people who are told you're not good enough, that you, you shouldn't be in our presence. And then to the tax collector. Isn't it interesting how the, how the Bible talks about tax collectors? Because every time you find the word tax collector, you'll find a word before it and, or after it, tax collectors and sinners. They're just, they're just synonymous. It's almost like today, right? Right? Tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus goes to this guy who, who nobody liked. He was all isolated. He was a Jewish man. And he comes to him and he says, come and follow me. I want you to be part of who I am. I want you to be part of my group. He goes and he starts to align himself with those people. And then on the other end of that, once you get towards the end of Luke or the, these, uh, the, the three chapters there, the other side of that, the other bookmark on that end is a uh, story that Jesus talks about that you shouldn't put new wine in old wineskins. It'll burst. It'll burst. I'm doing something new. Jesus is saying here, I'm doing something new that isn't going to fit into your old religious framework. I've come to do something brand new. And it's this wonderful gap between, or not gap, but a bridge between what we call the Old Testament and the New. He's looking back at the Old Testament. He's looking back at the Old Covenant, and he's saying it served its purpose. But when he was on the cross, he said it's finished. And now there's something new that we're going to be about. There's something brand new. Now, do we have the picture this time? I hope we do. You guys know what that is? Let me tell you something. In 1989, this was high-tech stuff right here. I got one of these when I was young, and I'm telling you, I was the king of Super Mario Brothers, right? All 12 of the different levels, and you get to the one level, you jump on the turtle, and it gets you like infinity lives so that you don't die on the last one. I mean, it's great. And look at the, look at the controller there, right? There's just a couple buttons. There's up, down, left, right. Select, start, and B and A. That's real easy. You just need two thumbs and you've got just a few little things there, right? I, would, I mean, this is what I grew up on. It was high tech, right? And do you remember the cartridges that would go in it? Yeah, you would put those in there, push it down, and push power. And if it didn't come on, you, you, you turn the power back off, push it up. You brought it out, and what'd you do to it? You blew. You, you know, it's crazy. You blew in it. You put it back in, and it would work. It is insane. That's how high-tech that stuff was. That's all. I think it's scriptural, too, because Jesus said he breathed life. You know, he breathed. <laughs> breathed life into it. And it works. Fast forward. I'm t I know I'm telling my age with this as well. I have three kids. They're wonderful kids most of the time. Uh, some of the time. Every once in a while. Uh, but they wanted, they wanted a game console. And, and I was like, yes, this is going to be great. And, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to school them on what it means to be in video games. But this is what we got them. An Xbox. Now, 
Xboxes don't have cartridges. They have CDs, right? And you put that in there. But look at the controller, right? Nintendo, up, down, left, right, select, start, BA. This has up, down, left, right, two toggles, A, B, X, Y. Up on the top are two bumpers, and that is just too many things to be happening at one time. So I, we put this in, and I start playing with my kids, and it's, a, it's one of those first-person games where you're running around, and, and I, I mean, if my guy was just spinning because I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I had no idea. But I think what Jesus was saying is, you have this Nintendo. Don't try to take that Nintendo cartridge and put it into this new game console. It's not going to work. Don't take this old religious framework that, you, that, that, that we've been living under, don't take that and try to put it in and plug it into this new system that I'm bringing in, that I am ushering in. Because it'll never work. And sometimes I think the church has gotten into this habit of trying to take a, a Nintendo game system and trying to use it inside of an Xbox One. And we see this in the Beatitudes, when you kind of, this culmination in, in Matthew chapter 5 of the, of the Beatitudes, Jesus is saying, you have heard it said, you've, you've been using the Nintendo, don't be angry, but I tell you, or don't commit murder, but I tell you, here's the new, that even if you're angry with your brother, you've sinned. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, here's the new, that even if you look at someone with lust, that you have committed adultery in your heart. Jesus brings, is bringing throughout the New Testament in his life, and even today, he is bringing about something new, even within us. Even with us, because when we are in Christ, we are what? A new creation. He is bringing about something new. And what I want to ask you and what I want you to wrestle with this morning is this. Is Jesus wanting to do something new in the church today? Is Jesus wanting to do something new in Hawaii today? Is Jesus wanting to do something new in this Croc Center today? Is Jesus wanting to do something new in you today? And the question that we keep coming up against is this, is are we playing the same old games? Are we playing the same old Nintendo games when God's given us an Xbox One? And right in the middle of all of this conversation, this bigger context, right in the middle of it, this narrative, Jesus announcing that he's here to preach the good news and that Jesus is saying, I'm doing something new and him showing that he's doing something new, we end up with the healing of a paralyzed man. And I'm going to invite you to turn there. I know you've had your finger there. You probably lost it. I'm sorry. I went off a little bit. Chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 17. It says, one day while he was teaching, that being Jesus, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men carrying a paralyzed man on a bed, they were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. 
But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, Who is this? Who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, Why do you raise such questions in your heart? This is one of my favorite parts right here. Listen to this. Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Stand up and walk? Which one of those is easier? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up, take your bed, and go to your home. Immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on, and went to his home, glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, and they they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things today. So here you have this man who's paralyzed, and when we get to verse 18, and and just doesn't really tell us much about it, but that these men were carrying a paralyzed man on his bed. Now there's something you need to know about people who were paralyzed and people who had skin conditions like the lepers or if if, if someone had disease. It wasn't like today that we, were, you know, we have a medical and, and we have things that we can help people with. What happened with them in the first century uh, Jewish understanding of God is they would say, you're paralyzed. You're paying for your sins. That is God's work in you. So we're not even going to help you. We're not going to try to pick you up. We're not even going to try to help you at all because you are paying the price of the sins that you've committed in your life. It's called the retribution theory. You do good things, good things happen to you. You do bad things, bad things happen to you. Right in the middle of the Old Testament, we have Job that kind of fights against this whole idea of this this retribution theory. But it was very prevalent. And even today, it's still somewhat prevalent. But they would have seen this paralyzed man and they're like, we're not going to help because that means we're interfering with the judgment of God. But for whatever reason, these men saw him and they saw, they just, there was something that happened with him. Something new happened within them. This grace, this mercy, and they pick this man up and they decide the only thing I know to do with him. The only hope that we could possibly have for this man is if we get him to the feet of Jesus. Because Jesus had a reputation of healing the sick. He had already made this announcement that that's what I'm here to do. If we can just get him to Jesus. So they pick him up and they start carrying him to the house where he is. And they get outside and the place is absolutely packed. There are so many people around wanting to hear Jesus that they can't get anywhere near him. And don't forget who it said is all around listening to Jesus. It's the Pharisees, it's the teachers of the law, it's all the VIP of the religious people. It's the, it's the most religious people in the nation of Israel who have already walked past this paralyzed man and never even saw him. 
It was four, really, we don't even have their names, and I, I, I don't mean this to be derogatory, but it was four nobodies. Just, just everyday people that God, that Jesus was doing something new in their lives. And they get there, and now at this point, now tell me the truth, at this point, you've done all this work, you've, you've picked up some kind of bed with a man on it, and you get to G, and you can't get him in. How many of you are just like, you know what? I've done my religious duty today. Let me check that box off. I got him at the feet of Jesus. These are all religious people. They'll take them to Jesus once they're done. We wouldn't want to be rude and interrupt the meeting. I kind of sometimes get there myself, I got to tell you. But let me ask, let me just make sure that, we, that this is said here this morning. Don't be so quick to give up on people. Don't be so quick to give up on people. Because so many times what ends up happening is, is we look at people and they fall and they mess up and all, whatever it may be, that, this, uh, this, this ideal that we have for them, and we just like, we'd rather just say, I told you so. If you would have just listened to me, if you would have just done what I told you to do, you wouldn't be in this position that you're in. Husbands, do not look at your wives right now because I know they don't do that. My wife is always telling me that. If you would just listen to me, you wouldn't be embarrassed all the time. If you would just listen to me, things would go so much better. But what we can't forget is that every single person that we, that we come in contact with, they're on their own faith journey. They don't process information the exact same way we do. They don't struggle with the same issues that we do. Everybody is on this faith walk, on this faith journey, but it's not necessarily your journey. Don't be so quick to give up on people. The reason that you're probably here today is because somebody didn't give up on you. The reason that you're probably here today is because someone continued to invite you to church. Someone continued to invest in you. Someone continued to show love to you so that at one point you just relented and say, fine, whatever, I'll go to church with you. Isn't that how that works? Don't be so quick to give up on people. So these four men, they're like, we're not going to give up. We're, we can't do it. we got to get him to Jesus. So they pick him up, and they take him up this, on, onto the side of the house where there would have been stairs, and they go up, and the roof was flat, and they start digging. Because there would have been beams, and inside the beams would have been mud and dirt and, and different aggregate in there to kind of let it all dry so it would be nice and hard. And they start digging out this roof. Anybody going to do that if I say, hey, I got an idea? What if, if your buddy said, hey, listen, I got an idea. We got to go up on this roof and we're going we're gonna to tear the shingles off. We're going to tear the plywood off and we're going to draw. How many of you would be like, yeah, that's a great idea. That's one of the times in my head that my wife is like, you need to listen to me. You just say, I don't want to go to jail. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But that's not what they said. They were so determined to get this man to Jesus. They went up on the roof and they started digging through this. And if you can imagine this dry mud, this hard mud, and just the cuts they would have gotten on their hands and on their arms, the dirt under their fingernails, and, and just the mess that that must have created. It wasn't an easy task, I'm sure. I, I say that like I've ever done it before, but I'm sure that it wasn't an easy task. 
And they say, they dig this hole. And can you imagine being in that room and seeing, look up here. No, I'm just kidding. There's nobody going to come down. But a, imagine a body coming down and the silence that must have gone across the room. The absolute silence and, and shock and awe. And some of them were probably disgusted saying, man, we're, we're having a church meeting. Why are you interrupting us? But they start to lower him. And they lower him, and he gets on the ground, and he's right there at the feet of Jesus. And then this next verse, verse 20, it says this, and this is amazing to me. This is something that theologically I don't understand, and it bl actually it blows all of my theology out about salvation because I don't understand this. It doesn't fit within my framework or, or our framework. It says, when he saw, when Jesus looked up and he said, when he saw their faith, these men who carried this paralyzed man, when he saw their faith, then he looked down at the paralyzed man and he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. This man, this paralyzed man didn't ask for, for, uh, for forgiveness. He didn't say the sinner's prayer. He didn't, do, he didn't uh, get baptized. He didn't do any of those kind of religious framework, theological framework that we put around salvation. He did none of it. Instead, Jesus looked up and he said, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven you. Man. What if I told you that your faith affects the people that are around you? Or maybe the, maybe the statement should be, your faith should affect the people around you. When it comes to evangelism, when it comes to our vision of who people are in Christ, that should lead to action. And when, when with these men, they put their faith our understanding of who Jesus is. And they didn't just say, uh, you know, that's great that I have this faith and, and I'm going to keep it to myself. When their faith was put into action, where those two meet, that is evangelism. That is discipleship. That is growth, personal growth. Where vision of who a non-believer could be in Christ and our action meet, that is where God is. And I think that the idea of evangelism, I think that the idea uh, of even, even discipleship has gotten boxed into this idea of simply an invitation to church. You go up to someone, did you, did, you, how did your evangelism go this? Oh, I invited five people to church. We've kind of boxed it into just that invitation. And, and we've also got some other ideas about evangelism that it's like this Bible thumping that I'm going to go hit people over the head with my Bible and somehow it's, the words are going to go into their head and, and they'll be saved. Or going and knocking on people's doors and, and asking them that awkward question because you don't know who they are. Just that awkward question of, tell me about your soul. I don't even know you. Who are you and why are you asking me about my soul? It's just awkward when you don't have that relationship. Or giving out, do you know, have you ever guys ever seen the chick tracks? 
Those little things that you give out and, and you, you give them to people and, they, and they basically, uh, this is terrible, I know, but basically it says if you don't give your heart to Jesus today, you may go to hell tomorrow. If you die today, where will you be? You know, that kind of thing. And we count that as evangelism. We think, yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. But what I want to make sure you understand this morning is that we need to broaden or maybe we need to change our idea of what evangelism looks like. Because in reality, evangelism is all about a relationship. It's all about serving others. It's all about walking them through or walking with them through difficult times. It's about celebrating the good things that are going on in their life. Because when you have a relationship with someone, it's not just this awkward, tell me about your soul, that those acts of service starting to soften the people's hearts that you're around. And it creates this curiosity within them of, you know what, I've seen you go through some of those same things. How come we're different in the way we're reacting to them? Tell me about this Jesus. Tell me about this Jesus. Make no mistake, this type of evangelism, this type of, of action that these men took, if we're going to model that moving forward, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take your time. I mean, when you think about it, these men, it didn't tell us where they were going, but I'm sure that they were going somewhere. They might have been going to, the, to the hear Jesus speak anyway. And it took their time to stop and to pick them up, and to carry them. They didn't carry them, they made it, got a front row seat, or a back row seat. It's going to take your effort, your energy. It's going to take all of who you are. It's going to take you being vulnerable. It's going to take you getting your, your hands dirty. It's going to take, you're going to get cut. You're going to get scarred because when we open ourselves up to other people, when we're vulnerable to other people, there is always the opportunity for us to get hurt as well. But it's worth it. It is worth it. Your faith can bring people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. This paralyzed man experienced healing of the soul through the forgiveness of his sins. He also, he, he, he received physical healing because of four men who did three things. They had a vision to see past what he appeared to be. They looked, everybody else looked right past him, but they looked at him and said, I know you. I know who you can be. They had the courage to act and to serve in a new and unorthodox way. To serve outside the bounds of what everybody else was doing. And finally, they were relentless in their effort and they refused to give up they refused to give up on this man until he got to Jesus. Would those three things describe your relationship with others? What does your faith look like outside of this building? Does your faith just include coming in on Sundays and singing praise and worship? 
or does it actually make a difference when you leave here? Does it make a difference in the people and the circles of influence that you have? Because no matter where you find yourself, no matter where you find your family, no matter where you find those who, who uh, you wish knew, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, let me tell you this, there's always room at the feet of Jesus. Always room. There's always forgiveness and acceptance for you. And there's always forgiveness and acceptance for those, those non-believers that you interact with on a daily basis. Have you taken our religion and trying to play old games in a new console? Or in Jesus, have you kind of upgraded into the Xbox? What is it that you are doing this morning? We're going to have a song play, and I just want to have a time of prayer, and I just want you to kind of digest that. Where is my faith making a difference? And where am I playing an old game, trying to insert an old game into a new system? I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. However you want to respond, you can pray there in your seats. If you like, you can come here up front and pray at the kneelers and have someone pray with you. However you feel, however you feel led today to respond, I invite you to do so now. Father, we are so grateful for the opportunities that you give us to serve each other and to serve those who are outside of this church. And I just pray right now that you would give us a vision to see people for who they are. To see that image that you have put in each and every person. May we see that even through the brokenness, the hurt. Lord, I pray that you'd give us courage to serve in new ways. That you would give us the creativity that we need to find ways to meet people's basic need, to be known, to be loved, and to be part. And then, Lord, I just pray that you would give us a relentless attitude, that no matter the hurdles that we come across, that we would never get tired of pushing towards you, that we would never get tired of, of bringing people to you, Give us the strength that we need. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in us. And as we prepare here in a few minutes to go out into the world, that you would, that you would continue to work through us. Lord, we want nothing more than you to be glorified. We want nothing more than to share the joy, the love, the shalom that we experience every day, Lord, with those who do not. Give us what we need today. And we ask this in your precious and holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. And Amen.